What's up guys, this is Corey Baker from Baker Forge and Tool. In my business, we do tons of heavy grinding every single day, and we needed a grinder that could take abuse and keep on trucking without slowing down billet production. The Ameri Braid Variable Speed 2x72 is just that. All heavy duty parts and framing with well thought out accessories that are easy to use and not bogged down with lots of tiny parts. By far the best accessory item that a Mary Braid sells is their surface grinding attachment. It is absolutely foolproof and the best in the industry. With quick release magnet system, there is no prying your workpiece off the platen. Very fast to slap a billet or a knife onto the table, engage magnets, and start surfacing with precise increments. On top of all of this, their customer support is outstanding. Eric and Kevin are always available and fast to help with any situation. If you're in the market for a top-of-the-line grinder or maybe just an accessory to add to your existing setup, go to Marybraid.com and use the code HUSTLE100 for 100 bucks off any grinder package. All right, next up, the Hustle & Grind Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle & Grind Podcast. I'm Noah Bloomberg of Inyat River Forge. With me, as always, Ryan Coakley from Ryan Chadbourne Knife Works. Today in the house, we have James Fleming from Wasteland Forge. How we doing, boys? Great. Pretty good. James, I hear you're an ABS but, uh, journeyman smith. Yeah, so actually, your ad um, for the Ameribraid with Coy Baker. Coy was actually there when I took my performance test. He recorded it for me. Um, that weekend, I ended up giving Jason and Shelly COVID. Uh, <laughs> which seriously? Yeah, I yeah I so I got stuck in the snow up here um, one day, and one of my father in law's friends came and got me out of the snow. And it turns out he had COVID and then I didn't know about it and went down there and ended up giving them COVID, but it wasn't a bad deal. Like they were all fine. Um, but I just remember like it took me six minutes to chop through the two by four twice. Cause I made essentially a chef knife to test with. And I did it while like I was sleep, sleep deprived and I had COVID so oh, I was exhausted after chopping through the two by four. Did Jason tease you while you did it? Because no, Brigham, um, Brigham Kendall did a two by four chop in Jason's shop and he was he was teasing him the whole time. I think it was more serious than that because I was actually testing for journeyman. Oh, yeah, that makes um, sense. He was pretty encouraging. I mean, he, he invited me down to the shop and stay at his place for that weekend. And he, they like put me up, man. They were, you know, paying for dinner and stuff like that. And we were having a good time. I, I got sent home with like a couple, like a billet of uh, San Mai and um, a chef knife that him and I collaborated on. So it was, it was a really good weekend. It just Badass, you know, turned out that I had COVID and gave it to them. He seems like one of those just like, genuinely awesome people like we had him on i've talked to him since then and like every time you talk to him it's just like talking to a regular dude except he's like you know famous yeah he doesn't act like he's famous at all uh and he doesn't care about it um as as much as as far as i know you know it, um i know him decently well um 
and he's he's always been like a genuine guy and he just he cares about the knife making community like you know he really wants to support the kind of makers who want to do good things in the knife making community yeah it's a really awesome quality and it shows i think you know when 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 somebody like that you know has something bad happen to him like you know having a shop burned down you know everybody everybody rallies because you know they understand what an integral part of the community uh, he is and and want to support him so so let's just uh if you don't mind let's talk a little bit more about the the abs so you tested for journeyman this last year yeah yeah so you were one of the the large group that we heard about uh testing at, at blade is that correct yeah, so it was kind of an insane number. Originally, I think there was like 65 people that signed up to take the test. Um, there ended up being 43 that actually tested. And of the 43, um, 31 or two of us passed, which is, that's the most people who've ever taken ex- that exam at one time. That's the most people who've ever passed that exam and and the quality of work was insane. Well, I'm sure that must've put a little bit pressure on you because you know, some of the other makers who were testing at the same time and you you probably had a pretty good idea of what they were bringing to the table. How much did that affect your mindset as you were preparing and trying to, I mean, yes, you're trying to pass, but at the same time, you know, I imagine it's not necessarily graded on a curve, but you got to, you know, have that in the back of your mind. Like these guys are going to be looking at, you know, some amazing work the same day. Like I'm going to have to really bring my a game. Like did that factor into it at all? Um, I was really trying to win the journeyman of the year. Um, so I, I was already planning on bringing my a game and I knew who, you know, was coming and I knew essentially who my competition for that was, you know, and I, and I was talking to those guys, me and Will Stelter were talking every other day or every day. Um, my friend Matt from Hogtooth, uh, he, him and I were talking every day. Jeremy Ellis, I was talking to him all the time. Um, I talked to Matt Stagmer a couple times, um, Curtis Holland. Like we were all kind of communicating a little bit at least. Um and for for the stuff that I did, um, I so I, you know, you have five knives you have to make. You essentially have to make two knives over six inches, and then the rest can be whatever you want. There's no, you know, there's a standard for fit and finish, but there's no standard of what you really have to make. Um, I made essentially five well four knives that i had never done before like the only knife i had any kind of experience making was the integral chef knife the rest of those knives were all new to me um and they were like the first so like the key the double lug integral keyhole never made one of those before that test the integral guards never made those before that test the s guard large takedown bowie never made one of those I did um, a Tang style, and that was kind of by accident, but um, Charles Leinhardt does like a, a shoulder bolt Tang for a lot of his chef knives. Yeah. And so I 
like two weeks before the test, I had broken one of my tangs off on my knives. Ooh. Yeah, so so I was like, screw it, I'll just drill and tap it and put a shoulder bolt in it. Was it already hardened? And that'll it was. How <laughs> was tapping so, that? Um, I blew it about five times and it was still a pain. I got it enough. I, I probably had five threads into the integral guard. Okay. Um, and so it was a pretty solid seat. Um and it, it met up with the shoulder. So, and then I just ground it and put a handle on it. But, um, I mean, I, I, the whole time I was making these knives, the the reoccurring theme that I would hear is that's very ambitious. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, 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 you know, it was, but I, I wasn't, and that's the thing I talked to Jason about, um, I didn't want to pass that test doing the bare minimum. I wanted to push myself and try something new and still be able to pass the test. Cause if, if you can't try something new for a test like this and still be able to pass it, can you really consider yourself at that level? Did, uh, did any of those new knives that you did like that style has any of that turned into something you do on the regular now? I am currently working on two keyholes. One is a single lug guard. Uh, These are Damascus now. The chef knife I do, um, I'm working on a takedown D guard Bowie. The thing about, so I was full time up until about five months ago. I told you guys before this that I started working at John Deere. And think about taking a full time job at John Deere. I can just make what I want now. I don't have to, you know, worry about custom orders. I make enough money at John Deere. I don't rely on knife income anymore. So anything I make from knives is just shop tools. Like that's all it's going towards. Um, but now like everything I make now is something that I just either want to make or need to challenge myself with. Like I'm working on, um, a quillion dagger to practice for master Smith. Um, and that's not something if I was making knives full time, I would have the time and opportunity to just be like, oh, I'm just going to work on a Quillian dagger right now, you know. Uh, right. So I'm some of those knives like the I want to do a lot more group to forge and forged guards. Um, I also think that the ABS standard, there's a lot of you forge to profile and then everything else is just like grinding and filing and is this pristine finish. And to me, that's, that's like, where's the forging? Where's the bladesmithing from that? You know? So that's why I did my set kind of the way I did. Cause there's no one, nobody could look at my set and be like, you didn't forge these. Cause they're, four out of five of my knives were integrals right so it which uh, what you're saying is absolutely true it's basically stock removal with extra steps yeah i mean you still have to forge it um now this is a very controversial thing that i'm gonna say nobody is gonna know if it's forged or not nobody's gonna tell the difference if you turn in stock removal knives or forged knives it's up to the maker to be honest um, and I absolutely think you should. And that's why I made 
integral knives. It's like you can't argue that these weren't forged. Like there are people who have done stock removal on like large billets to make integral stuff, but I don't have the equipment to do that, nor do I have the desire. Yeah, that's a lot of grinding. Yeah, <laughs> oh, for sure. That's a lot of waste. <laughs> So, yeah. so you, you brought up an, an interesting point that I actually kind of wanted to ask you about. So the, the ABS style is very, I don't, I don't know what the word is, but there's, there's, there's a lot of ABS style out there and a lot of it has to do with buoys. And this is something I asked, I actually asked Jason Knight about when he was on our show was for those of us who aren't members of the ABS, what would you recommend to people? Would you recommend joining the ABS as the benefit there to joining the ABS? And do you feel limited by that style or do you feel that it, it hampers your personal growth in any way making knives for your, your, yourself? So um, the standards are pretty loose. They don't say you have to make an ABS style Bowie the you you have to make something with symmetrical plunge lines the handles and overall shape has to be appealing and symmetrical the fit and finish has to be exceptional um so no gaps um all of your scratch pattern needs to be pulled in the same direction i went up to 600 grit and that was it um as far as style of knife the abs is supposed to do their best to not judge your work based off of the style you chose to present. They have to judge your work off of the fundamental factors of that knife. Plunge lines, symmetry, fit and finish. The craftsmanship. Uh, other than that, yeah, it's the craftsmanship. I mean, you can turn in a cleaver and they should judge that cleaver based off of what a cleaver is supposed to look like. Um, gotcha. I think you still need, I mean, so you have to have a bolster or a guard for each one of your knives that you turn in. Um, you can do a folder, but they have like, it has to have bolsters. Um, I don't suggest doing folders. You can do full tang knives. I don't suggest it because it's the fit up for the handle on a full tang knife is something like six or seven square inches versus uh three quarters to a full square inch at a guard fit up you know there's a much larger margin of error when you're going full tang um a lot of people do full tangs really well i do a ton of full tangs the other problem that you have is handles tend to shrink especially when you're going from one climate to another so if you're driving from up north where you know or the midwest you're going from a very dry climate or Washington where you're going from a humid client all the way through to this other very humid client that's warmer. So your handle is going to fluctuate. So you kind of have to think about that when you do these knives. Um, I did all museum fit ups except for the keyhole. Um, and that one I used reamed Gigi, which has very little movement anyway. Gotcha. But as long as you do those fundamentals for the ABS, you should be able to pass. And 
I mean, I've seen people's knives that were turned in that didn't look like the ABS style at all. I don't think mine really did. They were like, obviously fit and finish wise. Yes. But you know, um, I did. Yeah. Yours was one of those, you know, you, you, you know, you're just scrolling through Instagram and you're seeing, you know, everybody's journeyman sets and you're seeing a lot of the same stuff. And then every once in a while you see one, it's like, Oh, hang on. That one's different. You know, like there's something where somebody just went a little bit outside the box and, and obviously that was what you were going for. And, and obviously you hit it. Um, but a lot of the times you just end up seeing a lot of that same, that same style, but it's interesting to hear you say that that's not really required. You know, I'm, I have to admit I'm fairly right. uneducated when it comes to the ABS. So this is, it's pretty interesting to hear. Well, and I think a lot of people fall in that same thought process because all you ever see, like if you go on and Google journeyman Smith set, you're going to see the same set, just slightly different from, you know, hundreds of, of journeymen. Um, and then there'll be a few standouts like myself. Uh, I think Curtis Holland did a pretty good job standing out. Will Stelter did a pretty good job. Um, Matt Stagmer, his knives, I don't think were very ABS at all. He, he took some pretty creative liberties in the, the style that he made his knives. Um, my friend Jeremy Yellis, he had hammer texture guards, and like hammer texture and blackened guards. Oh, um, I didn't see that. Yeah, his, his set was phenomenal. Um, but... If you looked around that room, there may out of the the forty three of us that tested, there may have been ten of us that did something that was outside of the ABS style. What does that mean, ABS style? Yeah. So very traditional Bowie's, very traditional um, like Western style knives, basically, like um, just very clean simple there's they're elegant i would say they're they're elegant knives but they're um the the abs has a very standard style from a lot of like abs standpoints like they all kind of derive from western style knives um with like obviously modern um um elements yeah yeah some modern elements and, and and like obviously older western knives they didn't have the same standard they didn't have the same quality so it's like western knives with a higher quality of fit and finish um but you see a lot more people nowadays realizing that they don't have to fall in that standard and that was one thing that's why i chose jason knight to proctor my journeyman exam because I don't think he falls in the ABS style at all. No, not at all. And that's, no. I'm very, He's got his own thing. Right. And that's what I want. I want to be a standout as a knife maker. I don't want to look like, you know, all the other people, you know, like there are obviously some things you don't get away from in knife making, but for the most part, you got to develop your own style. You want to have your knives, um, your maker's mark is a secondary to what your knives look like, in my opinion. So if, if you saw my knives without the maker's mark, you should still be able to, you know, have an idea who made those knives. Right. For sure. For sure. So I just want to, I just realized that maybe I was coming off a certain way here. So I, I just want to make sure that nobody thinks that I'm 
hating on ABS style or or hating on any particular people for a certain style of knives that they do. I'm just talking about trying to, you know, pick James's brain on on the the direction that he went with his knives as opposed to, you know, a, a very common trend that's out there. So hopefully nobody takes offense to that. I wasn't trying to, you know, pigeonhole anybody or anything like that. So just to, no, just to be clear I, on I that. No, I think you're very right by that statement. There's a lot of Bowies and Hunters. That's that's pretty much the standard that's turned in. There's not a lot of Chef Knives that's even turned in. Um, yeah, and that was another thing that I, I was like, I don't understand that because, you know, there's culinary knife makers that don't join the ABS because they don't think that their knives kind of meet that ABS standard they don't make that style of knives but chef knives are still knives and if you're still making them with a a hammer and a forge you're still forging them you know so i just there's my what i would suggest people who are on the fence about joining the abs i i would say join go through all of that because eventually we are going to be the ones who are um, voting members, making decisions, and setting the standards for the ABS. So if you don't agree with the way the ABS is ran now, join, and eventually we will be able to change those small things. That's is, that's an interesting point. Is there a home for stock removal guys in the ABS or any similar organizations? Um, there is the knife makers association, which they do stock removal and bladesmithing, but the ABS is a standard based off of forged knives. Oh uh, yeah. So ABS is yeah, for American guys bladesmithing only. society. Yeah. Um, yeah. if you, I mean, it, but what is, you know, a forged knife? Do you forge to profile? Do you forge a tang in and that's it? Cause in my opinion, a forged knife, a truly forged knife is one that you're going to forge the bevels on. You're going to forge in the tang, the tip. Um, you know, most of the geometry is going to be made under a hammer. Um, now that obviously varies because Damascus, if you want to reveal a good pattern, you, you got to forge to profile and then you've got to grind in because you want to expose the core of that pattern. Um, same with Sam Mai. You don't want to forge it too thin because then when you grind it, you know, you could distort your core so much that you can have soft material on your edge. So there's obviously a few, you know, different opinions when it comes to forged knives. But I think if you're taking a hammer and heat and an anvil and manipulating that steel in some way or a press and you're manipulating that steel in some way, it's forged. Um, now, uh, there are some people that believe every knife is technically a forged knife because the process of making steel is forging. Yep. I think I've heard Noah say that before. Yeah, I, I, I've said that before because, well, and not necessarily just like as a rule of thumb, but mo- more just as a rebuttal to those people who uh, are ignorant in, you know, basic metallurgy. Um who think that, or, or who say, espouse the opinion that a forged knife is better than a stock removal knife. It, it's never going to be as hard or as good as a forged knife. Well, 
No, not really. It, it was the, that that steel was forged somewhere. It had to become steel. So, and I, I've I've just kind of said that as a as a joke, but it, it technically technically true. As a stock removal guy, from what I've noticed, it's like, um, you know how like jewelry stores they'll sell you like two hundred dollars worth of gold and a worthless diamond for seven grand, and they're selling you the feeling the item has no value. I think a lot of people who buy forged knives, it's that feeling that they get knowing that somebody heated it up and smashed on it with a hammer. Right. It's not there's, so much. I would say there's more skill and technique involved in forging a knife. And cause you also do stock removal. So you have to know this bit of extra information. Um, but if you're not a skilled bladesmith, you're going to, you're going to make a subpar knife compared to one that is stock removal. Hey, if you overheat the blade and you have too much decarb, uh, you're going to have soft jacketing. And if you don't heat treat it properly, that ja- jacketing could split your knife just like a sand my knife can split. Um, you can, I, I've done it myself where I forged some sand my too thin and the stainless completely pulled the carbon out of the core. So I had a non hardenable carbon core, you know, and so those were unusable knives and it, it, you know, like if you were to take a forge knife and compare it to a strictly stock removal knife, um, I think the stock removal knife might perform better. Um, nine times out of 10. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I've caught a lot of flack for not forging in the time that I've been making knives. And I've also caught a lot of flack for not freehand grinding. And I always found that interesting because grinding is grinding. It, it, you know, it takes an equal amount of skill, in my opinion, to use a jig or a work rest like I do or freehand. You, you know, you still have to understand how to hold the blade to the belt. It doesn't matter if there's a piece of metal holding it or if it's your fingers. Well, and and I can agree with that because uh, I tried grinding with a jig one time and I quickly threw it across my shop because I just could not figure it out, couldn't deal with it. And I just went straight back to freehand grinding because that's just what I'm used to and that's what I can do. I cannot grind with a jig. I'd I'd love to be able to. I feel like maybe my grinds would be better, but I can't do it. Yeah, I I mean, you you can still you know, um, put more pressure on one part of your knife than the other creating issues with the jig as, as well as freehand grinding. I freehand grind because that's how I started doing it. And, um, I don't know any other way. I do have a jig and I, when I start teaching classes, I'm, I'm going to learn that jig because I feel like starting with a jig is an easier way to learn grinding because one, it gets your fingers away from the grinder and I really don't want people who don't know how to do anything around a grinder putting their hands next to one. Um, that makes sense. And then two, yeah. as long as you have a, you know, a good reference surface, you can get, you can start with better grinds. Uh, I think the thing that maybe Noah and I have um, is we have so much experience with grinding freehand that we were not patient enough to use a jig. It's like, this isn't grinding the way it should. Yeah, I'd say patience probably had something to do with that or <laughs> lack thereof. I had well, uh, the same experience with the jig. 
I started freehand, but I wasn't progressing fast of a, fast enough. And then I watched Noah Vashon grind off a work rest. And I was like, oh, I'll try that. And instantly I got better results. I was like, I guess this is my way. This is how I'm going to do it. Yeah, I well, think speaking of grinding, let's um, let's throw in an ad right now for our grinding sponsor, Phoenix Abrasives. This is a new ad. And if it's quiet on this episode, everybody shoot me a DM and let me know and I'll amplify it. Hustle and Grind podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Abrasives, your one-stop abrasive shop. When you go to phoenixabrasives.com, click the shop icon in the upper right-hand corner to find all the abrasives you'll ever need. Check out the Incinerator 36-strip ceramic belt, along with the Trizac Gator belt that the hosts of Hustle and Grind use every day. When you check out, use code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your entire order. Thanks, Luke. And just a real quick shout out to uh, Jeremy Ballaball. He uh, told me about some green belts that he got from Phoenix. And uh, with one of my last orders, I threw a bunch of those in there. Ryan, you and I are always talking about the redheaded stepchild of grits, which is 120, because it's right there in between removing material and polishing out scratches. I got a load of those green, I think they're zirconia belts. Um, and the green compound, I think is some sort of like lubrication or something in the grit. And I got a load of those and I got to say, it's probably one of my favorite 120 belts I've ever used. Um, are they dark is, green? Yes. Yes. It's a dark yeah. green. And I use those on handles, the J flexes. Nice. Yeah. I was using it just, uh, just for cleaning up my scratches. Uh, and it, they worked phenomenally and they held their grit a lot longer than a lot of one twenties because you know how it is. Most one twenties, you use them like once, maybe twice, and then they're done. Um, it's not like a 36 where you can just kind of keep using it. And I really like those belts. So I recommend, uh, anybody who's going to Phoenix, um, check those out because, uh, they worked really well for me. So that's why that's why I love Trizac, man. Trizac, Norax, all those structured abrasives, dude. They last forever. That's right. Okay, so I wanted to just real quick. You posted a reel of you using your what's it called diamond thing to yeah, dresser, the, the redressing stone. Yeah. Where did you get that? Amazon for seven dollars. Okay, so listeners, myself, we can just go to Amazon and type in diamond belt dresser yeah they got them right at harbor freight in the uh, in the bench grinder section oh they have a harbor freight too oh oh yeah okay. oh yeah it's just like a cheapy friggin little diamond thing that's poorly welded onto a piece of tin <laughs> yeah but I've, it works I've great got, i've got one of those that's like an inch and three quarters it's like a little rectangle with diamond bits on it and i i use like if you want to, I know a lot of people swear by a disc grinder and I've got a really good disc grinder, but I get so much of a better finish, more even coming off of Trizec belts and they last like a year, especially if you use that dressing, like that diamond mm -hmm. dressing stone, like, cause every, especially the finer grit ones, they'll, they'll cake up pretty quick. Um, yeah. Glaze so you just over. hit it for a couple seconds with that diamond dresser. 
and it's it's cutting just like brand new those structured abrasives man that's the way to go when you want to get to those finishing grits yeah i mean for 12 bucks 13 bucks for a belt that's gonna last you a year if you don't break it i have ripped a couple i've broken a couple but for the most part i've never worn one out because you just keep dressing them yeah and they last forever <clears throat> but i love them i love them the Norton Norex belts, you can redress those too. I did one today. You can, those you can also redress some ceramics. Um, I use 40 grit. So it, it, the reason I use, I start with 40 grit is because they don't tend to shear as quickly as 36. And it's only, you know, it's barely any different. Um, mm-hmm. You just don't have that immediate shearing of grits when you press a new knife against the belt. Um, but yeah, I, every now and then I'll hit it with one of those just to get a little bit more life out of those belts. What I do on the 36s um, or, you know, the the lower grit ceramics is I'll turn my speed down and just hit it with like a sharp edge. If I've got like just a scrap of steel or something and you can just see, you know, the kind of dust go out the bottom as it just kind of takes the little bit of that glazing off and it gives you a little bit of fresh grit to to get in and you can you can tell the difference immediately you'll see the the spark yeah. pattern coming off it'll it'll get bigger and you'll just yeah, get a hit little it with more that life out of those eraser and you're good to go do either of you use the belt grease that combat sells uh i used it once or twice um i used to buy from combat and so i got one of those big grease sticks and the only benefit that i found from it is if your face was too clean and you wanted some sort of thing sprayed all over it, that worked really well for it. Dude, I got that stuff all over my glasses because I bought a stick of it. I'm like, I'll try that. And it does work. I mean, if your belt stops cutting and you hit it with that, you'll get a little extra out of it. But it covers the blade, the belt, everything within like rooster tail range coming around with the grease. I found now I just rub my thumbs on it. And then it le- allows my thumbs to slide on the blade better. Because so sometimes you, just, my... you grease your thumbs with it instead of the belt. Yeah. Because yeah. okay. sometimes you know your thumbs are wet and they'll stick to the blade, and it'll like it'll make you pause when you're doing your your stroke, sure. your pull through, or whatever you call it. Yeah. So I grease my thumbs up now, and it gives me a nice smooth fucking. Now you got to clean it off the blade afterwards, but. Well, there you go. All right, so a minute ago we were talking about uh, purists or people who are a little bit stuck up about certain things like forged blades versus stock removal. There's another type of purist out there, and those people are generally known as anvil trolls or anvil purists. Uh, James, a while ago, you <laughs> I, I see you already put it in your face in your hand. Um, you assaulted an anvil. You wrecked it. You ruined it. You oh, performed God. a crime against humanity. And I, my question to you is how delicious were those tears that you got to drink on that day? I loved it because I yes. took an anvil that I was like dreading using every time I used it. It was a good anvil. It still is. It's a great anvil. It's a Queen Dudley. It's 112 pounds. Um, even after I ground it, I, I mean, I took maybe an ounce off the damn thing. But, oh, my God, like I knew I was going to get some flack from it. Um, 
I didn't get a whole, I didn't get, honestly, I didn't get as much as I thought I would get. Um, but wow. You know, what did you, you do? Bought, I missed it. I didn't oh, see I, it. I bought a surface grinder and I decided to surface grind the face of my anvil. One of my anvils. Um, oh. It's a Queen Dudley 112 pound, uh, like English pattern. Uh, it's got a rot body with a like hardened face. Um, and the, the, the hardened face still has a half inch and the thinnest section. So I'm, I'm not worried about taking off too much material. If it was thin, I wouldn't have done it, but I had enough hardened steel there that I wasn't worried about it. Um, and it wasn't being used the way it was. So How I decided, deep was the deflection in the center of that, that anvil before you surfaced it? Um, more than an eighth of an inch. Okay. Yeah, it, it looked like it was... It was between an eighth and a quarter inch of sway in the middle of that thing. Yeah, there is um, the term for anvils like that are sway back. And a lot of people say you can use those to straighten things. Yeah, and, I've heard that. And I, I mean, when you're over. Um, yeah, you can get stuff straight, but there's other tools for that, too. Like, I don't need my I don't need a sway back anvil, especially not if I plan on teaching classes. I need an anvil that somebody can strike on and get a flat you know, hit from the get-go. Um, and I currently have four anvils. Two of them are, um, I've got the, I've got a Brooks English pattern. It's 112 or 114 pound. I've got that Queen Dudley. I've got a NC tool anvil. And then I've got the Atlas Knife Makers anvil. Atlas Knife oh, Tool. Nice. Yeah. And, and, and so they're actually, he's pretty local to me. He's about three hours away. Um, and that was kind of a sponsorship deal. I shouted them out a bunch. Um, I worked on a YouTube video and never published it. I'm kind of crappy about publishing <laughs> YouTube videos. Whoops. Um, but the, he's a great guy and he's, he's producing something that makes sense. And the knife making community, a lot of his animals don't make sense, um, for some, purest blacksmiths because they don't have a large horn and a large heel. Um, he's putting all the mass in the center. So these are kind of like, um, like Sawyer's anvils, you know, where they're, it's just mass. Uh, and when you're forging, that's really what you need to forge. If you're working on a 75 pound anvil um, and you only have a three inch waist under it, then most of the, your mass is in the horn and in the heel. Well, if you have a 60 pound anvil, so for reference, that 65 pound anvil has a wider waist in both dimensions than my 112 Brooks English pattern anvil. So there's more mass under the hammer when you're forging on a 65 pound anvil. Um, and it's taller too. It's about a half inch taller than my Brooks 112 pound. So you can really do work on it. The only problem is um, with a heavier anvil, you tend to get less movement. And so with a 65 pound anvil, unless it's mounted to the floor, it's going to walk on you. But other than that, you're, you're getting the most um, rebound out of the smaller surface that you're working with. Which for a lot of nice. knife makers, I mean, that's all you really need. Like you, like you right. were saying, 
And it's the same so price as an NC tool anvil, but you're getting all the mass you need to forge. Did you catch a lot of flack for surfacing your anvil? I got a little bit. There were a few people who were like, um, there's no reason to have done that. You could have used it to straighten it. Um, you're ruining the anvil. But honestly, a lot of people were like, heck yeah. Can you do mine? <laughs> sure yeah that's more content uh i'm fully i'm fully in favor of doing that you know i, I got mean. more flack for the fact that i'm using a belt for my surface grinder what? than i got for grinding the anvil interesting see that i'm surprised Weird. by yeah i got a bunch of machinists being like you you that's a travesty that you put a belt on on a surface grinder they're not accurate like that and you know these are precision machines because the wheel has flex to it yeah it's a hard rubber um there's there's a bit of flex but i mean you're you're talking you know a couple thousands versus dead on you know Mm -hmm. for the stuff that we're doing it you know if i'm surfacing damascus i don't need i need the time i don't need the precision so i get i get more done faster with the belt and i'm you know i'm getting billets flat so that i can weld them back together i I learned early on i I learned Mm -hmm. early on in my career as uh as a mechanic that me and machinists were not going to get along very well so I've just kind of written them off because yeah, there was, there was one, one point in time where I needed, I needed some help from a machinist and I got a lecture about the temperature of the steel and the tolerances rather than the help that I needed to just machine a quick part, because let's face it, I'm a mechanic. Like I'm not talking in thousands. I'm talking in eighths of an inch here. Like, can, can you just help me do something that works? And it's no, just got to fit. No. It's, it's just, just gonna just, fit. Bro. Just just gotta fit is something that's like a curse word to a machinist. <laughs> and I, I apologize if there's any machinist listening to this, but uh but sometimes just fitting is okay. I know yeah. Yeah. I, I apologize for the fact that your brain just broke, but sometimes just fitting is okay. Just it's just okay. So there there are certain uh, times where tolerances and perfection are needed. That's not all the time. I learned very on in being a mechanic that if you don't have a tool, make it and changing a tool to make it work for what you need it for is what they're there for, you know, surfacing an anvil so that it is useful to you is why you have that anvil. Right. It's, it's my anvil. I I'm exactly making it more useful to me and, and see the, the people that I was trying to offend. Cause I was genuinely trying to offend people by doing this. I love that. The, <laughs> the, so there, there's a guy here in town where I live who he collects anvils and he gets <laughs> upset when people use them for the intended use. So like he's got over a hundred anvils and people like that pay top dollar for anvils driving up the market. Right now we're sitting at like $7 right. an anvil. If you're, yeah. if you find a reasonable anvil, yeah, if you find like a hay button or a fisher or anything like that, most of those are going to be $10 a pound for that anvil. And it's because of collectors like that who want pristine anvils and they're going to pay 
$15 a pound for these things, driving up the prices for them to sit on a shelf in a shop. And I wanted one of those people to see me completely resurface the face on this thing and and in kind of an aggressive way because i used a grinder and i was making sparks i could have gone you know a a half a thousand for every pass but i was like screw this three thousands five thousands you know it's like how much can i take yes and it's because i had a lot the hate burn yeah yeah so and and by all means if you're going to collect something and it's cool don't hate on the people that use those things to make like the intended use like anvils were designed hundreds of years ago by people who planned for them to be used for hundreds of years later like you know you know what's worse about those collector people they like that guy he will hoard all those anvils he'll pass away and the odds of his family knowing anything about those anvils is slim to none they'll get sent to a scrapyard either that or somebody like either that or somebody like andrew alexander will buy them all up yeah and sell them i don't do you guys know who andrew alexander is no so he's a blacksmith tool dealer down in texas and he's pretty reasonable he's a little higher than some people that i've dealt with but um he has the funds to go and buy an entire estate of anvils and resell them and yeah you know when you're buying anvils at that high of quantity you're getting like three dollars a pound because Mm -hmm. they want them all gone but and he's selling them for seven eight nine ten dollars a pound depending on the manufacturer of the anvil like obviously some more sought after anvils hay and fisher uh some of these, you know, more recognizable names are the ones that sell for higher dollar amounts. Um, it's usually the English pattern, I think, the or the English-made anvils. Those are the ones that sell for a bit more. German anvils are pretty reasonable with market price. Isn't it crazy how there's, like, underground markets for everything, especially, <laughs> like, antiques, like, specific items? I worked at, when I was in my teen years, I worked for an auctioneer named Kermit. Shout out to Kermit. He's a very old man. He's still alive. Um, but what he, his job, he would go in and buy out estates. So, like, the family would come in and, like, how much would you give us to just clean the house out? And he'd say whatever the dollar amount was, and then he'd hold his auction once a month, and I was, I would hold up things for him. And some of the things that came through there that went for crazy money, you would never guess like a chessboard, $800, you know? And then you start to think, why did that chessboard go for so much money? Well, it was made by this guy in this era of his life and blah, blah, blah. And people know about that stuff. If you're in that realm, Ambles, it's the same way, you know? Um, the Amble I have in my shop, my coworker got for free because the guy was going to take it to a scrapyard. Because what did he so, care about an anvil? And those are some of the best kinds of anvils. My my Queen Dudley, my father-in-law bought it for a hundred bucks and gave it to me. And so I was like, I didn't spend, you know, a thousand dollars on this anvil. I spent nothing. And I'm gonna make it useful. And I'm gonna try to piss off people while I do it. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> uh who I think it was the actually it was just this morning I saw a reel. Um 
I don't know if either of you guys follow uh, Christ-centered Ironworks. He does mm-hmm. a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, he, he took those two small anvils. So I, yeah, so he starts off with these two small anvils and he's drilling holes through them, and I'm like, what on earth is going on here? And then you see like this big twisted like rod, and I'm like, that looks like the rod from like a fly press or something. What on earth is he doing? And then you get to the end of it and he's like, he's pouring molten steel into these holes with the bar ends. And I'm like, what on earth? I think it was lead, but yeah, he poured lead so that they would hold onto this bar. Exactly. So basically he turned two anvils into the weights on the top of a fly press. (laughs) And it looked, it looked cool as hell. Yeah. And then he painted it too, which is another like, Oh yeah. Painting anvils for some reason is another thing that pisses off anvil collectors. It was fantastic. Yeah. I, I can't remember what I commented. I commented something about I'm just here to to love watching all the haters, but none of them had gotten there yet because I think I I think I saw it like right after he posted it, so I can't wait to go back later and and see Oh yeah. all the people. There was Maybe. I mean there was a there was a comment about somebody like, "Oh, it's going to smack you in the face" or something like that. It's like, "How is that going to be that much worse than a giant the ball, ball on the end on of it. it. Yeah. It's our, yeah. So anyways, uh, so if you guys aren't following Christ Center and Ironworks, go, go check that out because that was awesome. Yeah. That made me want to buy a fly press to do it myself. Troll bait. Loved it. Our fly yeah. presses are those ones that are like a threaded rod, like a thick threaded rod and you smash yeah. it. Yeah. It's wow. a big, yeah. They use inertia. So that's why you have the weights on the top. It uses the inertia from the actual like arm to press some of those things have like 15 or 20 tons of like pressing power too Holy. i've seen some i've seen some guys that make damascus on those things and ellard I mean, ellard blacksmithing i think there's a australian young man he's he's yeah. probably in his early 20s he does I think that's all the guy of I his saw. knives on that and he makes integral damascus chef knives and stuff using nothing but a fly press wow that's impressive mosaic damascus on a fly press like it's super impressive i bet he's jacked (laughs) he's not he's like he's 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 like he's 20 something i mean he's cut he's cut he's not jacked i mean you can tell he like works a lot on this fly press but he's not huge or anything i mean he's a young guy so and it's i mean it's amazing what people can do with the tools that they have like i've yeah. got a friend who's he made a press out of a, a pneumatic cylinder it's mm. slow as hell but he uses it to to cut like feather pattern and stuff like that and he'll use it to do like initial presses for damascus making yeah my first press was one that i had made out of i took a harbor freight press and then i replaced it with the the air of our hydraulic cylinder I hooked it up to a like a compressed air foot switch and I made my own dies. And, and that's how I started making Damascus was with that. And like you say, it's slow, but you, you get everything together. And I mean, it, it works. And I've seen other people do that, too. Like it's it's doable. And it got me going. You know, I, I made Damascus and I made a lot of sand my that way. And that's how I paid for my coal iron works that I have now was I used that to make knives to sell to move up. So yeah. they work. That's the thing about making Damascus. Most of you don't lose a lot of heat when the billet's big. Yeah. So you you've got that time when it starts thinning out is when you really got to work it fast. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and you can get a dies. lot done on something like that. You just need that that pressure, that initial like pressing power. 
Yeah, and it's like we were talking about with uh, Tobias when he was on. Like, you, you just got to have a large enough area to where when you're pushing on one area, it's not trying to peel up the rest of it. So yeah. that's why a press is so much better than trying to hand hammer or or even in a lot of cases using a power hammer. From what I understand, I've never used a power hammer, so I don't know. So I use I have a seventy pound uh, tire hammer, the mm-hmm. same one that Derek Melton uses so i've got the yeah. eight inch round base and uh man i i am i don't think i've ever made damascus using press i've only ever used a power hammer Sam oh, really? I, all of it uh, and i can get some work done the only issue with using a power hammer to make damascus or any kind of steel is that your your hold that you weld onto the back of the steel tends to bounce around enough to break those welds Oh, That's the only yeah. issue I find. I could see that. And I'm a crappy welder, so I'd have an even harder time with it. I, I, I weld just enough to, to, to stick pieces of steel together so that then I can forge weld them. That's, that's about the extent of how good I am with the welder. That's a true mechanic speaking right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Weld an exhaust pipe. Uh, um, yeah, you don't want to see any of my welds on exhaust. So how did you get into, forgive me if I don't get the name of them right, but they're like, they're like war axes or like the Native American. It's the wood thing with the, the fucking gun stock war clubs. Yes, um, the war club. That's what it is. So I'm I, I like like old Western style stuff, you know, like frontier style stuff. So like, you know, if you go back and look at some of my knives with the rawhide sheaths, they're very frontier, very rustic looking with like clean kind of fit and finish, but still rustic. Um, and so it just kind of developed that way. Like I, I, you know, I watched Last of the Mohicans when I was a kid. I'm, I'm huge into video games and played both red dead redemptions uh a lot and just stuff like that um and i so i've I've, it was one day i was just like you know what i want to build one of these because i saw other people doing them and i was like you know i've always been like liked that stuff i like native culture and i really try to respect that culture uh so I, i made one the first one i made i give to to jason knight when i went down there to take my journeyman test so he's got the first one I ever made. Um, and that was like, cause he, he, like I said, he opened up his house to me, let me stay there for free and like kind of put me up for the weekend. Um, and when I passed my test, I, I walked out, he handed me a beer. And I, so I drank some of the beer right after I passed. And then I walked out to my Jeep and grabbed this war club and I handed it to him. And um, Jason really values people's time. So like if you, it, it doesn't matter like the quality of the the knife or object you give him, he's gonna value that based off of the time and effort you put into it. To also know that you know you wanted to gift this thing to him, um, so I, it it was a little emotional. You know, I just did all this and then gave that to him, and he was he was happy about it. I was and I was really stoked to see him. You know, genuinely excited to receive a gift from me because you don't expect that from people, you know, like at, at least not people who are as well known as Jason is, but, uh, right. That was well That's received. Awesome, and then I got a bunch of orders for it after. So I was like, okay. And 
they're not cheap, so <laughs> I continue to make them because uh, nice. people still buy them. So I've got a couple that are pretty much finished. I just haven't put them together yet. Nice, nice. When you're choosing the wood on those, do you how much does the species and grain come into play with it? Like, so, do you need the grain to be looking a certain way before you choose a piece? Yeah, so there's a combination of like durability and aesthetics. Um, if I was just going for something that you're going to take out in the woods and try to kill a hog or something like that with, I would go with hickory. Because, I mean, hickories are made, you know, axe handles, um, stuff like that. Uh, and they're meant to be springy and take a beating. Uh, I use curly maple because of maple is still kind of in that realm of springiness. Um, curly woods aren't as strong as straight grain woods, but straight grain woods don't look near as beautiful as curly woods. So you kind of have to find that good balance. So you don't want super hard woods for these. You don't want something really heavy and dense because the, the harder something is, as you know, the more fragile it is. It's the same with steel. You know, you have a knife that's 67 Rockwell, it's, it's going to break like gra glass. But if you have one that's 58, it's, it's going to hold an edge and bend and stuff before it breaks. Um, so you kind of want to find that center realm. Happy, of, happy medium. Yeah, happy medium. Um, and so I find that maple and walnut are pretty good. Um, obviously, if I were to strictly make one to be thrown and used for the intended use of something like that, you know, war, I would make it out of hickory just knowing that it's going to hold up. But maple and walnut are so beautiful. Exactly. It's, mm. it's hard to go away from like using these really beautiful woods. And I've only had two have issues and they both times the issue was here and it was because of grain run out. Like they just sheared right along the grain. Um, mm. And so I've, I mean, I've sent, at least 30 of them out and i haven't had Jeez. anybody tell me that they're they're damaged nice cool yeah that's awesome man i saw well, those. Hey. i thought they were super cool i was like you look like you could smash some stuff with that yeah i mean they're they're aggressive they're a lot lighter than you would expect especially the maple ones um and that's the first thing people say to me when they pick them up they're like this is really light and i i tend to explain to people, you know, a fighting weapon is something that's light and quick. Uh, you don't, you don't want something that weighs 10 pounds. Yeah. It's going to do some damage when, and if it hits, um, but you're more likely to hit somebody and make contact with something that is easily wildable. Wait, you mean 50 pound flails from the middle ages yeah. weren't real? Yeah. I mean, they were real. They were <laughs> They were real in a giant's hands or something. Not no normal human is going to pick up a fifty-pound flail and use it to or a, a fifty-six-inch-long claymore sword, like William but, Wallace's sword. Yeah, but you know the thing about those swords? That was probably a five-pound sword max. Really? They're so thin. Yeah, oh, wow. they're so they're so thin, and the way you grind geometry on a sword is, that, I mean, you're you're working with four hollows and a lot of times they do, you know, like, um, uh, the, the groove, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. The fuller. 
a fuller down the center of the blade. So, and what you're doing there is you're essentially creating an I-beam out of yeah. the steel and you're lightening it up significantly. So it's super flexible. Most big swords are super flexible and they're also probably 56 Rockwell. Yeah, so they're a little on the softer side, yeah. Right. That well, makes you don't, sense. It's easier to fix a blade that rolls than it is to fix one that chips and shatters. So you want those longer, big swords, a little flex, more flexible. Like obviously, if you're going for forge and fire, and you're you know, you know, chopping through clay pots and stuff like that, you want more edge retention. But for the most part, giant blocks of ice. Yeah. I want a sword, man. I've been like jonesing to have a sword lately. I have like a cheap Pakistani one that sometimes I just hold, but you can't chop nothing with it. No, I, that's I another out thing. And then I never finished it. I, so I was in the I army for five years. I was a tanker in the army. Um, so I was armored cavalry and I really want a cavalry saver. So I will be making one or two of those in the future. Nice. Uh, more than likely, I'll be making a matching pair and bringing the other one to Blade Show to sell while I keep one for myself. There you go. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted one of those. And usually when you get out of the army, they give you like the they, they give you one as a sergeant. And my the, the unit I was in when I got out wasn't the greatest unit. They didn't really care. So I didn't get, you know, I got like my award mailed to me after I was home for three months for getting out of the army. So it was nice. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for being in the army for five years. Being I fought in the army and all I got was this crappy shirt. Well, hey, so here on this show, we normally do a, a segment that is uh, a little bit goofy. Um, are, are you familiar with the fable of Florida Man? Oh, yeah. So yeah, I'm, the, I'm aware of Florida Man. The, uh, the, the headlines that usually start off with the words Florida Man, and then they're followed with some level of debauchery after that that is usually fairly mm-hmm. unbelievable, but... Uh, so, so we do a little segment here uh, called Where in the World is Florida Man? It's gone through some different iterations. Um, so basically what, what we do is, is I have three stories that I read off the headline and then just kind of a, a short segment of the article. And you and Ryan and all the lovely people at home get to guess whether this was really Florida Man or if this was an imposter or if Florida Man had gone to a different state or somewhere else. So... Something that sounds like a Florida man story, but it might not actually be a Florida man story. It could have been a Washington man or Maine guy or something like that. So um, if you feel like guessing, I have I have some, some pretty solid ones here. Yeah, I'm down. We're going to go ahead and we'll, we'll skip the uh, – usually we've got like a little intro music that plays here, but I'm trying to change that up so that it matches what we're actually doing here. So this is Where in the World is Florida Man? And we begin with, man allegedly pulls out gun because his wing stop order wasn't ready. A 35-year-old man was arrested this week after he allegedly pulled out a gun while waiting for his food because the order wasn't ready when he showed up. 
Matthew Davis went to Wingstop after submitting an order online, and it was supposed to be supposedly ready, supposed to be ready by eight fifty eight p.m. Davis went to the restaurant at nine forty and was quote unhappy that his order was not ready yet. This is a big long story. Basically, he walked out to his truck, got his gun, walked back in with the gun in his hand. And his girlfriend had to like corral him back to the car because his food was 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 late. So, uh, do you believe that this gun wielding wing enthusiast was a Florida man, or was he from somewhere else in the country? That's a Texas man. <laughs> oh, we're going straight to Texas, huh, Ryan? I'm, what do you I'm, got? I'm Texan, so I I'm I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> Um, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I feel like Texans have more respect for the second amendment than that. That sounds more like, uh, although maybe not all Texans, he did get it out of a truck. See that that's the only thing him getting it out of the truck is the only thing that makes me think maybe it's not Texas because he does everybody care. Yeah. Yeah. I, I apologize. It said vehicle. So I, I, I use the word truck. It said vehicle. Oh. I don't want to mislead anyone here by adding in words that weren't there. I've, something in my gut tells me Michigan, Michigan man. Ooh. I've never heard of a wing it's, stop, so it's not Northeast. I haven't either. We got Buffalo wild wings up here, but. We have one stop here in the Midwest. Michigan's in the Midwest, so that would make sense. They're and, right, so and they're they're in Texas too. That's another thing to see. Oh, Wingstop's better than Buffalo Wild Wings, by the way. Most things are better than Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> That's true. Um, I said it. Fight me. <laughs> I love wings. I can put off some. I can put down some fucking wings. I'll tell Dude, you what. We had this- we had this pizza place back home where they had wing Wednesday and the wings were like 27 cents a piece or something like that. So you could order 50 wings and you were not spending a lot amount. Like you could buy two beers and a platter of wings and like you'd be 20 something bucks out the door. Oh, wow. And we would go there every Wednesday and we would put down some wings. Let me tell you what. When we go, when we order pizza, my wings are the most expensive part of the whole thing to feed the whole family. <laughs> It's like, oh, it's yeah, going to be 25 bucks if you don't get wings or 60 bucks. <laughs> it's worth it. Worth it. Totally. All right, guys. Anyways, I'm going Back with Michigan. To the story. So both of you are going not Florida. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's really Florida. That was that wasn't just Florida. That was Naples, Florida, which if. Uh, if Isn't Brian House, Brian House is? if Brian House uh, would lead us to believe that that's one of the classier areas of Florida, <laughs> uh, I don't know how true that is. Considering uh, you can, on any given uh, Wednesday, apparently this was uh, see a man marching back and forth through his vehicle with a gun in his hand because his wings weren't ready. So he he may be able to like play devil's advocate that they have shitty service at that wing stop. Maybe. Let's hear Maybe. it, Brian. Um, that one was submitted by our friend at Stormlight Forge. So thank you for submitting that excellent Florida man story. All right. This next one here. Um, it reads, 
Man arrested over pork chop dispute. Again. For the second time in three months, a man has been arrested for an incident involving pork chops. Police say that 29-year-old Terry Ball was arrested Wednesday. What is this? All happened on Wednesday? Uh, was arrested Wednesday for violation of a family order, family violence bond order. Police say the order stemmed from a February arrest in which Ball is accused of assaulting his 60-year-old mother with a pork chop. Ball's mother called the police this week, saying that he was trying to, quote, fight everyone in their house. According to the police report, when officers arrived, they say Ball claimed to be upset because his family ate his pork chops, forcing him to eat noodles. In the February incident, Ball was arrested for simple battery after throwing the piece of meat, pushing his mother and headbutting her. Wow. So do you believe this pork chop enthusiast who takes his pork chops very seriously uh, to the point of harming his family over them was a Florida man or someone else. I've always been under the impression Florida is full of beautiful people, like physically beautiful people. And I don't think anybody who's physically beautiful would care that much about a pork chop. That's James, you were shaking your head right there. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's beautiful people in the coastal areas, but you still have like, I mean, Florida I've never been has, to Florida. Just to Florida's just to put got it out swamps, there. just like Louisiana. Nobody <laughs> thinks people in Louisiana are all that beautiful. <laughs> uh, uh, now we're insulting Florida. the entire South. All right. <laughs> I'm also from Louisiana. Uh, my dad. Was How many in the states military. are you from? So I grew up in Louisiana until I was 13, and then from 13, actually, I was born in Georgia. My younger sister was born in Alabama. We lived in California till I was six. We moved to Louisiana till I was 13. Then I lived in Texas until I moved up here to Iowa. Okay. Like wow. Seven years ago. I've lived in Iowa for about seven years. What's that Johnny Cash song? I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert and mm-hmm. bear, man. He's, oh, yeah, he named much. two towns for Maine in that song. Oh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Nobody's been to Maine. Just me and Pickle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Lawrence Lake and Maritime Knife Supply. Oh, that's the right. rest of us kind of forget that it exists. It's it's up there. We like it that way. <laughs> Bet you do. All right. <laughs> back back to this pork shop thrower. Are we going Florida man? Or are we going somewhere else? I'm going Georgia. I think that's a Georgia man. I'm going Florida. All right. James, you're going Florida. Ryan, you're going Georgia. Ryan, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Good job, man. Aww. Yeah. Was it Georgia? It was actually Georgia. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's amazing. Ryan barely gets anything right ever, and this time he nailed this state even. Ah, great job, man. All right, I got one more here. I'm proud. All right, so this one's like a little on the dark side, but it's not it, – Nobody dies. So we, we, we have a list because people send things in that aren't necessarily air appropriate. Okay. And I would just like to remind everybody again, this segment is intended for humor. It can be slightly dark humor, but let's try and keep it in the gray side a little bit. So um, list of things. Uh, we actually added one to the list now. So list of things that I'm not going to read on the air. Uh, chopping up family members and putting them into suitcases. 
cannibalism, bestiality, and the newest one, human trafficking. Okay, so those are the four four categories that I don't want Florida Man stories for. I love you, you all. Know, you know I who agree. you are. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate your, your submissions. I love that you're interacting with the show. But if it falls into one of those four categories, it's not really that funny. It's just not. So anyways, uh, here we go. Woman accused of attempting to kill husband with sword. A woman is accused of trying to kill her husband by striking him several times in the head with a sword, authorities said. Uh, deputies responded to a home in the rural northeastern part of the state and found a seven-year-old man with severe cuts on his head. The victim, who was found in the bathroom of the residence, also had lacerations on his face and some other bad stuff. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, the the perpetrator was discovered sitting on the kitchen floor uh, with some blood and two bloody swords next to her. So, do you believe this was a Florida woman who attacked her husband with two swords, apparently, uh, but but thankfully wasn't able to kill him? Two? She went all like Anakin Skywalker, friggin' double lightsaber on the guy? Straight up kill Bill on him. That's Florida. I wish there was more description of the sword because if it was like a machete style sword, I would definitely go Florida. Uh, it well, I feel like it would have said machete. These were described as swords, and there was yeah. multiple art, multiple articles that I went through to try and find the most well written one, and they all described them as swords specifically. It didn't say what type of sword, but they were swords, not machetes. Maybe they were Lord of the Rings enthusiasts, and they had a the Legolas set. Because he's got the two swords. Yeah, I mean, they were oh, 70. Yeah. That's like dueling age. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been rapiers. You never know. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go ahead and go with Florida again on this one. Well, he didn't die. Maybe they're foils. Maybe maybe she just like hit him with like a square edge blade. Yeah. That's what I'm kind of thinking. They were just like um, ceremonial, you know, like army ceremonial swords or show blades yeah yeah that could be ryan did you uh did you have a guess on this one i said florida oh you said florida i apologize uh my listening skills don't exist so uh and james i believe you also said florida yeah i did final answer for both of you yep <laughs> yeah this one was chosen specifically because that was iowa man oh Oh nice. man. So <laughs> that's funny. So we actually, um, I, the first place I worked here in Iowa was Lowe's and one of the guys I worked with, he was, um, he would unload the trucks at night. Uh, I was like kind of in charge of this guy, but, um, he was gone for a couple of days and we were all wondering why. Uh, and he got in a dispute with somebody at a gas station, went back out to his vehicle grabbed a bow and arrow and threatened this guy inside the convenience store with a bow like, and arrow. Like a compound bow? Like yeah, a, like what? a hunting bow. Like straight Jeez. up went back out to his vehicle, grabbed his bow, and drew an arrow and aimed at this guy and threatened him. With <laughs> oh my, oh God. my gosh. Yeah. So apparently Florida man lives in Iowa too. All right. Well, yeah. So that one was uh, submitted by uh, Steve Grillo of Reclaimed Relics Forge. So thank you very much for your submission. That fell loosely within the boundaries of what we accept on the show. So appreciate that. 
Steve's a good dude. Yeah. I talk to Steve on a regular basis. Yeah, honestly, I don't even remember, but he might have been one of the ones that submitted one of the ones that were out of out of bounds, but I, I can't remember. Sorry, sorry if I'm saying any any things out of turn here. I've gotten a lot of weird messages. <laughs> I bet. Some of, some of the people message me and they're like, have Noah tell this story. I'm like, dude, we can't we can't tell a story about cannibalism. <laughs> we can't. Nobody wants to hear about somebody eating uh, their relative. Yeah, that's that's just not good content, guys. Sorry. Uh, so keep it uh, math dark, not death dark. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like even even like, don't get me wrong. Like I, I'm a mechanic like we we tell some pretty off color things like death can be funny at times, you know, like, let's be honest, like we're not pretending to be saints here, but you know, let's just keep it on the less gruesome side. That's all. I grew up with faces of death VHS tapes. I, uh, I'm a little desensitized now. I don't even know what that is. What? You never heard of the faces of death? No, it was a it was a series of VHS tapes you could buy like back in the infomercial days. And it was just like a slideshow of people getting killed. Like guy gets hit by a train guy gets stuck in an elevator shaft. Like. It was dark shit. It was dark shit. What was that? What's dark? You could go to to see uh, like, really steak and cheese dot com. No, uh, e-, e bombs world. E-bombs wasn't as dark as this one. It was like where they were like mutilating themselves with like, like, um, mouse traps and a bunch oh, of, like, I know like what you're talking about. Their genitalia yeah. And stuff like that. I had a buddy wow. who he, he was probably the best piercer in the state of Maine for a long time. It's Noah Vashon's doppelganger, but he went through this long stretch for like 10 years of just finding the most fucked up shit he could watch. And, and he'd find stuff and be like, hey, Ryan, come look at this. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to see that, man. I'm good. Yeah, but sometimes I, I, he gets sucked in. I, I, I've known guys like that were like, hey, check this out. No, no. Whatever you're trying to show me, I'm not going to look at it. That's 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 all good. Thanks. I'm kind of glad infomercial like movie like video things kind of phased out with streaming because I mean, they had Girls Gone Wild, Bum Fights. Oh, my God. Uh, there was another one, too. That's how that's how Jackass got started was CKY videos. Yeah, that's kind of uh, what I was what I was going to say is like, uh, is this where Jackass got its idea from whatever you guys are talking about? That's how they got started was the CKY videos that Bam like bootlegged out of the back of his car pretty much. <laughs> Bam. Wow. That's Bump back fights. in the day. Man. Remember when the my dad's ass. And we, ta- we talked about it on uh, on the bro down showdown, but uh, when the owner of bum fights went on dr phil dressed as dr phil oh dude and completely <laughs> completely beat him at his own game too yeah dr phil was like you're taking advantage of uh, whatever like people who were down on their luck and blah 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 and the guy was like you mean like you do <laughs> he got Just kicked off the him. show he's like one yeah. of the like there haven't been many people kicked off of dr phil and he got kicked off and i mm-hmm. think it was because he was like he's how dare doing... you expose what i'm doing right it, how dare you be so relatable to what I'm doing? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, I love that he dressed up as him. You're profiting oh, off of people's pain, and you're doing exactly what, sir? 
Right. His, his outfit. His, the guy was not bald, and he shaved his head. And he, he shaved did, the like, skull cap. The fire tuck. That's that's commitment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The wow. fire tuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He oh, mimicked his right? accent and everything. Oh and yeah! Some everybody should go on YouTube and look that up. His mannerisms and everything, dude. He was he was playing Doctor Phil one hundred percent. That's amazing. I'll have to check it out. I haven't seen Legendary. it. Legendary. South Park did an episode based on on that guy called Crack Baby Basketball, <laughs> where they where oh, Cartman gosh. Cartman starts a basketball league with crack babies. <laughs> think i saw that one back in the day <laughs> oh my gosh see the, the thing about south park is is that a lot of people don't realize it's very intelligent humor like especially like the uh like the the main storyline of of any given show it's 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 very um what's the term like i don't know timely you know like they, it's very relatable to what's on going on in the world and it's an interesting take on it in a very messed up humorous way the problem with south park is is that there's a subplot in every show that's the most disturbing thing you could possibly think of <laughs> like the one yeah. with indiana jones like that was oh my gosh that was that was awful oh the one where they remade indiana jones and it's just yeah. uh it's steven spielberg and george yeah, lucas raping indiana not, jones no. it's terrible I was going to try not uh, to mention that, but yeah, anyways. It is what uh, it anyway. is. Uh, South Park did it. We got to, you know, can't lead people yeah. on. <laughs> it's my favorite show. There's no secret. I think it's the best show ever made. Um, but some they, of their episodes are like, holy shit. They they don't, dude, everybody, they they don't care what it is. Like, they, they don't hold any, like, it's, if you're you know, this kind of religion or this kind of like, I'm sure at some point they're going to go after knife makers and just like, you know, it's everybody. <laughs> Nobody is outside of their realm of like making fun of. Yeah. And they're an equal, equal opportunity, uh, making fun of. Shows. Yeah. And that was right, like left center. They're going to make fun of everybody. Oh yeah. I remember it's... when like chef, the guy who played chef got pissed because they was it Scientology. Yeah, they Was did the Scientology episode, so yeah, they so killed him quit. off. Yeah, he quit because of that, so they killed him off. They're like, screw it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it, in order to kill him off, they had him uh, join NAMBLA, which is the North American Man-Boy Love Association. <laughs> and they brainwashed him into being a pedophile, and then they threw him off a cliff. As all pedophiles <laughs> Absolutely, but like, they, they're like, oh, well, fuck you. Whatever his right. name is, who was like, uh, we, what the... we've done everybody like you're not special. Your weird made up futuristic religion is not special. <laughs> I love when they made fun of the Mormons, the Mormons like took it a totally different direction. They took out a full page ad and was like, if you like because they did the Book of Mormon, which is like a musical. Yeah. And next to the Book of Mormon, they took out a full page ad that said, if you like this, contact the church for you know, information on joining us. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like free advertisement, you know, like yeah. that's the thing. Like that's, that's uh, awesome. Like, no, I've always heard this term, no media or no publicity is bad publicity. Like if people are talking about your name and people are talking about you, you know, like, uh, which is why you assaulted an anvil. 
Yeah, That's it's why, it's yeah. the the old school wrestling heel angle, you know. Uh, pro, pro wrestling got it started where, you know, even though people hate you, Floyd Mayweather did it too. They watch you to see if you'll lose. Right. They they want you to lose. They're voting. They're they're betting against you to to lose. You know they they it gives somebody it it gives um you know people a a god what is it like motivation it gives people motivation to watch that it's like oh i hate this person i want this person to beat him i don't know who this is but i want him to win Mm -hmm. and it's i mean you see it with mma now too you know like the way they tout on and act like they hate each other and they you know most of the mma fighting community is pretty like brotherly and you know sisterly or whatever they they are pretty good about being like solid sports um but man when you're selling a fight you you, you gotta bring some shit to throw in yeah. somebody's port you know i've i've I made knives act- for several ufc fighters now and every one of them have been the most humble awesome cool people to talk to you know but when they're in front of a camera for media day they gotta sell a fight so fuck that motherfucker i'm gonna knock him out you know or or in jesse jess's case fuck that bitch i'm gonna break her face you know (laughs) whatever they say but Uh, i actually saw an interview uh with nickelback uh the other day and they credit their haters for them still existing as a band uh, because they said that if if they don't even know like when it got started, but like the hate on Nickelback is literally the only reason that they still exist and still sell music and still make money. Like if they hadn't had that hater base that came out of wherever it came out of, they they fully admitted that there's no way they'd still be making music if if they had become like the villains of rock music for whatever reason. Right. It's it's so relevant. Like it, it, as long as you have people talking about you, you stay relevant. It's yeah. It does, you know, like yeah, you you want it to be in a positive light, but sometimes, you know, you you got to throw some metal on your face and be a bad the guy. Nickelback thing, I believe it was MySpace. Remember the they made a MySpace page that was a pickle and they were like, we got to get this pickle more likes on MySpace than Nickelback. And they got I all mad about it. I don't remember. I'm I barely remember, remember the MySpace days. There was a I'm bunch gonna of... Google it. I remember... While you're Googling that, why don't you go ahead and play, uh, play an ad for our last sponsor that we got to talk about? Mr. Maritime himself, Lawrence Mr. Lake. Maritime himself. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Gooseses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. Okay. So it wasn't MySpace. It was a Facebook popularity contest, and Nickelback got beaten by a pickle. <laughs> Wait. Like a picture of a pickle, or? Yes. It's a, a group on Facebook called Can This Pickle Get More Fans Than Nickelback hit its goal over the weekend, notching up 1.4 million fans. 
over the weekend. This this article was 2010. And that's where it started? I think so. I think that because that was when their heyday was. Remember? When they were on the radio? Uh, What the hell was that song? I don't don't remember because I never listened to Nickelback. (laughs) (laughs) Not willingly, anyways. James, your mic is muted. There we <laughs> he go. He was one of the people that liked the pickle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they play Nickelback pretty much everywhere you go, though. Yeah, exactly. Still, yeah. Look at the graph. Look at it. <laughs> Look at it. <laughs> it's it's rock, you know, but it's like family friendly rock. They don't really swear. They're not like Fuck dude, not mom. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, they Dude, even they play got, look at this photograph in like country now. bars and stuff like that. Like it's close yeah. enough, you know. Like it's it's redneck rock is what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's right up there with um, God, what is his name? Shine down. No, uh, that's another one I haven't heard in a while though. Um, <laughs> I Kid posted rock. a reel with a Shine Down song. Oh, Kid Rock. Rock. That's right up there. Theory of a Dead uh, Man. What, what's his name? Robert. Isn't Kid Rock's real name Robert? I think so. I don't know or care. It's, it's weird when you find out about celebrities' weird names. Like, uh, you know, Theo Vaughn, the comedian? Yeah. His real name. Hold on. I don't want to get it wrong. Uh, real name. I just listened to his one of his episodes with Joe Rogan the other day. It was awesome. It's Theodore Capitani von Kernatowski the third. Jesus Christ. <laughs> say that again. Please say Theodore. that again. Theo Vaughn, the awesome comedian. I fucking love Theo Vaughn. His real name is Theodore Capitani von Kernatowski the third. Wow. That's a good one. That's that's a that's a name. <laughs> he's one of the he's he's one of those guys though that like you watch his stand up and you just assume that like this is just like some you know it's he's an ex crackhead you know stupid redneck who cracks good. Oh, jokes. is he the one with the mullet? Yes, he's like yeah. notoriously yeah notoriously like mulleted. Like, yeah, that's his yeah. hair. Yeah, that's yeah. his thing. Like, uh, Kid Rock's real Joder. name <laughs> is uh he's got three first names: Robert James Ritchie. Robert James Ritchie. Yeah. Three first huh. names. Yeah. I never would have known. Um, one of the most hilarious names of anybody I've ever known is a a guy I know. We're not really friends, but I've known him for like 30 years. Uh, his name is Harry Richard Johnson. That's so we just all. Call, those are no. synonyms. Yeah. We, just, <laughs> we, we call him Harry Dick Dick. <laughs> That's good. That's brutal. Yeah, <laughs> I feel so bad for his time in middle school. No, nah, he deserves that name. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. <laughs> That's hilarious. But. All right, guys, we got an hour and 30 minutes into this. James, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about while while you're on the podcast, man? Yeah, so we talked about it a little earlier. Jason Knight's shop burned down Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, so we, we haven't announced this yet, but there's 17 makers that are involved in a raffle that we're doing on Instagram. Uh, it should start tomorrow. Um, so, so right when myself, this comes out, then. Um, Colony Knife Works, um, um, my buddy Matt, my friend Mike, um, Dakota Wilson, 
a bunch of phenomenal knife makers and um, just makers in general got together and donated like a knife or a, a prize um, for this raffle. And it, all the proceeds are going to Jason and Tristan Knight um, because of, you know, the shot fire really affected that their whole family, you know, Tristan sure. and yeah. Abigail Knight just had their kid and they had a shop fire that destroyed all their stuff and they both make knives for a living. Right. So, so yeah, we're, yeah. so we're putting that on. So, Hopefully we'll have the link live tomorrow and we'll all start promoting it. And I, I created a video with all of the pieces that are being donated. So that should be live tomorrow. And people can just go directly to your Instagram page to find out more about this tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, so, well, on Monday, I don't know when this is coming out, but um, so Monday it comes out on Tuesday. Okay, so the audio version comes out on Tuesday. It'll be yesterday then, uh, okay. February sixth. Um, so yeah, it, all the proceeds are going to Jason. Um, Brandon Franklin, who lives by Jason, is going to be taking um, the the money to his website, so he can just give it to Jason. Um, so we'll have a link to that. And then it'll have all the information of the people that donated. Nice. Yeah. All right. Nice. Cool. Well, Speaking of raffles, at- Neil Warren's raffle's still going on, everybody. 15 yeah. bucks a spot or three for 40. Um, he's got 40 prizes. Oh, wow. Going on. Yeah. Uh, everybody's thrown in something. Uh, Phoenix Abrasive sent a couple belt kits. Um, he's got knives, maker stuff, pretty much Baker Forge has given him some billets. Um, there's all kinds of stuff to win. So, yep. Head just on finished over. Bo- boxing up the knife that I'm sending down there to him. So if you're listening to this, it's, it's on its way, hopefully by now. So there's a lot of really great makers that have donated some really awesome stuff to that. So continue <laughs> to support our boy, Neil and continue to support Jason as well. So. We're more than happy to help promote that. That's going to be awesome. So, I mean, everybody, everybody loves Jason. So that's, that's a no brainer to help support him. So yeah, Neil's a really good dude too. And I know he's going through kind of a hard time. Yeah. And and honestly, like a shot fire, like that's everyone's worst nightmare. Like that's, that's the one thing that we all hope never happens to us. So anything we can do to help somebody make their way through it, more than happy to help. Show. Ryan, you got anything else to close us out? I don't think so. If I did, I forgot. Shout out yeah. to all the patrons. We will read you out and give you lots of love next week. And we'll, yeah, we'll cr- creep through your Instagrams and tell everybody what you're doing in your life. Yeah, we'll, we'll do another one of those uh, patron spotlights. We haven't done that in a while, so... Maybe we drop on WFI projects next week too. Who's our guest next week? Give you guys all the love. We appreciate you guys listening. Is our guest next week? Kyle Daly. That's going to be fun. um, Andrea DeLeon is the week after. Yep. Andrea. And then Mr. Pickle at the end of the month. Speaking of pickles. Yep. Andrea will be a good one too. She's awesome. Yeah, I met her down in Texas. She's she's pretty cool. Yeah. James, are you going to be at uh, Blade Show this year? Yeah, I'll be at. So Blade Show is the one that I will not miss. 
going forward. Um, this year, yeah, I'm definitely going to be there, and then next year I'll be testing for master. So, going to be a very nice. cool man, awesome. Well, Ryan and I are hoping to uh, hoping to get down to Blade this year. So hopefully we'll get a chance to meet you in person, shake your hand, and it's okay, going to be strange. I think, uh, I think my table will be nine double D. Oh, you're going to have a table. Awesome. Okay, yeah. cool. Nice. Nice. Yep. Nice. Right on. Well, Heck yeah. We'll, uh, yeah. And also just, uh, any other, uh, any other makers out there, if anybody from Washington is going to be heading down to blade, shoot me a DM. I'm trying to, I'm trying to plan everything. I'm looking at plane tickets and trying to figure out how this is all going to work out. So I'm still in the logistical planning phase of, of this, I, I, I stay in my state, man. I don't go places very often, you know? So it's kind of, it's kind of weird, you know, like, uh, it's just not a normal thing for me. So I'm trying to figure it all out, you know, buy plane tickets and get that all, get that all taken care of. So anyways, I'm just kind of curious about, uh, anybody else heading back down there this year, shoot me a DM, talk about it. So James, it's been a pleasure having you on here, sir. Um, it's great to talk to you and hear about, uh, your ABS journey and, your anvil assault and everything. And we appreciate you playing along with our ridiculous games, man. So <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks, man. Awesome guys. Well, Hey, all you guys have a great week. We appreciate you listening to the hustling grind. I hope you all have a great week. Keep on hustling. Keep on grinding. Woo! Cheers. <laughs>